All right, we are continuing, and I believe today we're going to come to the conclusion of our study in our Confession of Faith. And uh, we're in chapter 32, and we're on paragraph 3, which is the last chapter and the last paragraph of our Confession. And we have been going through this Confession for about 15 years now, and uh, we have finally come to the end of it. And uh, it's all on tape. And in case you missed any, you can sit down on a Sunday afternoon and listen to those tapes. <laughs> um, in any event, one thing about them, they're only about a half, half hour long each, so they go by pretty quickly. But we're dealing with the subject of the last judgment. And it says in paragraph 1, it talks about the certainty of the day of judgment. Paragraph 2, it talks about the purpose of the day of judgment. And now we're in paragraph 3, dealing with the timing of the day of judgment. So let's read the paragraph together. We'll briefly review where we've been, and then we'll take up where we left off. It says in, in chapter 32, in paragraph 3, As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment, both to deter all men from sin, and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will he have that day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful, because they know not what hour the Lord will come, and may ever be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. So as we have looked at this paragraph, we have seen, uh, with reference to the timing of the Day of Judgment, that it is certain there will be a Day of Judgment, and the certainty of that day coming uh, the effect of that knowledge is to deter us from sin and to be a source of consolation to us. But even though the day is certain, the exact day of that judgment is unknown. And this uncertainty keeps us from carnal security so that they may shake off all carnal security. This uncertainty keeps us watchful and be always watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come and may be ever prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This uncertainty keeps us longing and anticipating the coming of Christ. Now, last time we began to look at Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 42 to 51. And I want us to go back there because we just covered that very briefly. And I want to look at it in, in, in some more detail. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 51. <clears throat> now, if you will turn back to Matthew 24, 1. Notice how this chapter opens. Matthew 24, 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See not all these things. Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he predicts the destruction of the temple. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? So the question is, When's the temple going to be destroyed? And beyond that, 
what is going to be the sign of your second coming that you've been telling us about and the end of the world. And so the rest of Matthew 24 and 25 is given over to the answer to that question. And so he starts talking about the various signs that are going to occur before his coming. He talks about the nature of his coming. Verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Okay, so he talks about the events leading up to his second coming. He talks about the second coming, and then he talks about the fact that they should not be unprepared. Verse 32, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, you know that the end is near even at the door. So we can know when the second coming of Christ is near. We certainly don't know the year or the day or the hour, but as we see these events being fulfilled and certain things coming to pass that Jesus predicted that would occur before his second coming, we can say, wow, it's getting close. And that's the most we know. That's the most we can say. That's the most we can predict. And we have seen many people write books uh, through, um, indeed, the last thousand years, uh, predicting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, of course, none of them have been true. Uh, perhaps the latest and most famous one, well, there were two. Uh, one person wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ is Going to Come Back in 1988. And, of course, he obviously didn't. And then the one by Harold Camping, 1994 in which he predicted the coming of Christ in September of 1994, um, which, of course, didn't occur either. I hear he's got another book in the works that he's predicting the second coming in 2012? 2011. 2011, yeah, something like that. So, you know, um, you can just mark it down that these people do not know what they're talking about. Um, anybody who says it's happening on this date, by definition, it's not going to happen on that date because Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour. And if somebody does know it, then his statement wouldn't be true. So no one can know it and does know it. It's always in such an hour as you think not, then the Son of Man will return. So people say to me often, well, do you think Christ is coming back you know, soon? And I go, I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of the things that he predicted... Uh, that are going to immediately precede his second coming haven't occurred yet. And so therefore, um, it could be, you know, a year or two or three or four from now, or it could be a thousand years from now. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter because I know that in a few years, Jesus is coming back for me when I die. And so the second coming will occur for me at the end of my life and for you as well. And uh, that's the coming we need to be prepared for. And if the other one occurs before that, well, great. Uh, if we're living for him, no problem. And uh, if we're not, then there's lots of problems. So having predicted his second coming and the events that are going to lead up to it, he then starts issuing words of warning. Notice verse 36. He says, but of that day and hour knows no man, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. So there it is, very clearly, nobody knows when it's going to occur. And we see these statements repeated over and over again in the Gospels. 
So if somebody tells you a date, you know that they are not being obedient to the word of God. They're trying to pry into things that God himself says he is not going to reveal. Um, but then what he does is he takes the last part of Matthew 24 and the first part of Matthew 25 and he delivers three parables. And what he does is he delivers the parable of the, um, of, the, um, of the stewards in verses 42 through verse 51. And he says, basically, um, you need to be a wise and faithful servant, not a foolish one, um, because if Christ comes back and finds you not ready, then you're going to be cast into hell. And then in chapter 25, he tells the, the story of the, of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. And once again, the foolish virgins are, are cast out of the kingdom. And then in the latter part of chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, he talks about um, the uh, landowner who uh, gave uh, talents to his servants. One he gave five, and one he gave uh, two, and one he gave one. And um, uh, once again, the one who wasn't faithful uh, while his master was gone was cast into hell. So there's these three parables that are given upon this declaration of the uncertainty of the time of his coming. And the sum total of the three of them is simply this, be watchful, be ready, be looking for the coming of my son, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, in the last part of 25, he talks about the actual day of judgment, separating the sheep from the goats, uh, those who um, you know, fed him when he was hungry and gave him to drink when he was thirsty and clothed him when he was naked and, and cared for him when he was sick and visited him when he was in prison. Those are uh, the people who are saved. Okay? So that's, that's the layout of Matthew 24 and 25. And so uh, the, the latter part of, of our paragraph here talks about us uh, shaking off carnal security and being always watchful because we know not at what hour the Lord will come. So what I want to do together then is to read one of these parables. And I've preached entire sermons on all three of them. And so if you're interested, I have a series of sermons called uh, Preparing for the Second Coming. And I preached a sermon on this section in Matthew 24, which we're going to be looking at. Um, and then also on, on the parable of the ten versions and, and, the, and the parable of the talents in chapter 25. Um, so anyway, those are there if you want a fuller explanation of these passages. So in the remaining time we have left, let's just read this passage and then we'll talk about it. Verse 42, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house, that is the steward of the house, had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. 
Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath given whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, um, notice then in this passage the exhortation that's given in verses 42 to 44. And the exhortation, verse 42, is to watch therefore. And the word simply means to give strict attention to something, to be on guard, and to be aware. And the idea is somebody who's anticipating uh, the coming of another. He's prepared. He's alert. He's aware. He's watching. His mind is focused. Okay? And so he's not only to watch, verse 42, but verse 44, he is to be ready. Therefore, be ye also ready. And so that means he is to be prepared. And so someone who is prepared is someone who has anticipated a future event, has made arrangements for it ahead of time, so that when the event arrives, all is in order in order to properly be able to deal with that event. And so what we are to do in light of the uncertainty of the time of the second coming is we are to be giving strict attention. We're to be watching for it, number one. And number two, we are to be prepared for it. And so what Jesus is saying here in verse 42 to 44 is look out constantly for my return. Keep your mind upon that anticipated event and be constantly in a state of readiness for its occurrence at every moment. And be sure to live so as you have nothing left to do or straighten up or square away when I return except to greet me. It's like one person said once, when the time comes to die, be sure that's all you have left to do. Don't leave anything undone. And so having seen then uh, the responsibility set forth, then we see the reason given. The responsibility is to watch and to be ready. And the reason why we have to constantly watch and be ready is because of the uncertainty of when the time will come. Verse 42, you know not at what hour your Lord doth come. And just like thieves don't call up ahead of time and say, hey, I'm going to break into your house and, and steal your silverware at 2.04 on Thursday the 14th. Uh, they don't do that. They just show up unexpectedly. And that's why we have to always be watchful. You don't know when Christ is coming back. Only the Father knows that time. And so in chapter 24 and in verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven. Verse 42, Watch therefore, you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 44, 
for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Chapter 25 and verse 13, watch therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour where the Son of Man cometh. And so four times in these two chapters, he says, look, you don't know when it's going to happen. And why people continue to insist on writing books about when it's going to happen when Jesus repeatedly says you don't know when it's going to happen is beyond me. I don't get it. But uh, apparently they think they're smarter uh, than Christ himself. And so verse 44 declares the impossibility of our guessing or knowing when the second coming is going to come. He says, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. So we need to always be ready. So this then is the exhortation given. We have to watch and we have to be ready. And the reason given is we don't know when it's going to occur. And then he sets forth an illustration in verses 45 to 51 of two categories of servants. And he tells us what it means to get ready and who are the people who are ready by setting forth the illustration of these two kinds of servants. And so first of all, he talks about the faithful and the wise servant in verses 45 to 47. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Now, this servant is called faithful, number one. Number two, he's called wise. And the reason why is because he is persevering in his responsibilities. Now, Christ has given every one of us a set of responsibilities to do. And, you know, we start out doing them. And after a while, you get tired of doing them. After a while, you find people opposing you in your efforts to do them. After a while, you find lots of discouragements in doing them. And so the temptation is to stop doing them. And so these responsibilities include such things as witnessing to the lost, engaging in prayer, being involved in a local church as a committed participant, having a godly family life, doing good works for the glory of God, keeping the commandments of Christ, loving your fellow believers, all the general commandments, that are incumbent upon every believer as they go through their Christian lives. And so we have to persevere in these things. We need to be constantly doing them so that when Jesus comes for us at our death or when he comes for us at his second coming to earth, he will discover us in a path of obedience and faithfulness in those duties that he's given to us and that we persevered in them all the days of our life, even in the face of discouragements and hardships. And so here's someone who did the will of his master and he was faithful in the will of his master and he has been therefore wise. He's planned his choices and behavior around that which has eternal value and which has eternal benefit. And he's made his decisions based upon their long-term consequences, not their short-term benefits. And he always had an eye when he made his choices each day about what he did on 
how that was going to play in the eyes of Christ when Christ came back. Now, having seen that he is a faithful and wise servant, notice verse 47, he's rewarded for his diligence. Verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. And so what that rulership consists of exactly, we don't know for sure. But the point is, is that when Jesus returns and finds us faithful in our assigned duties, he rewards us by promoting us to a position of greater honor and greater privilege than we ever had before. He shall make him ruler over all his goods. Apparently, he wasn't ruler over all his goods. He was just ruler over a portion of them. And yet, he received some sort of a tremendous promotion and blessing and honor due to the fact that he had been faithful. And so, uh, what those are, the Bible is not real clear, but I'm sure that we won't be disappointed in the rewards that Christ hands out for those who have been found faithful to him as they persevered in his service and in his worship throughout their lives. But we also have, sadly enough, another illustration set forth, and that's the illustration of the evil servant in verses 48 to 51. Notice, but and if that evil servant, okay, notice the contrast with verse 45, who then is that faithful and wise servant, Here's one who claims to be loyal to the master, who professes he will carry out his will, but when he's entrusted with that will and called upon to do so, he displays unfaithfulness. He is negligent in his responsibilities in that he perseveres for a little while in those responsibilities, but he has no endurance. And so as the Lord delays his return, he gets impatient, he gets tired. Ultimately, he stops his service to his master altogether. And he is like the thorny ground hearer of Matthew 13, 22, who as soon as the heat of persecution and difficulty arises, he says, I'm going to quit. Or the cares and the riches of this world arise and distract him and uh, choke out the word that it becomes unfruitful. So here's the picture of a professing believer who says, you know what? It's going to be a long time before I die or before Jesus returns. I'm going to have some worldly fun while I'm young. I'm going to sow some wild oats. I'm going to have a good time. And when I'm older and when it seems Christ's second coming is about due, then I'll straighten up and act right and get right with God. But the problem with such logic is he presumes he has a long time before Jesus comes. He can go his wild ways and then get ready just before it happens. The problem is that he doesn't know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to come. And we never know when either Christ is coming back or when we are going to suddenly die. And how many times have we known people whose lives were cut short completely unexpectedly who may have thought, I'm young, I have many years ahead of me, or I'm middle-aged, I won't die till I'm 85. And so he's negligent his responsibilities and he's punished for his dereliction, verse 50. 
And the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. And so this is the picture once again of the thief suddenly showing up without announcement. Okay, so this person never had a chance to straighten up. Jesus came back sooner than he thought and he's caught living for himself and living for sin rather than living for Christ and living for his glory. And the result is, is not that this person loses a few rewards. The result is this person is cast into hell. Notice, if you will, verse 51. He says, And he shall cut him asunder and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, of course, is what happens in hell. Okay, this doesn't happen in heaven. It's not like this person lost a few rewards, but he's still in heaven. Here is a person who um, was a hypocrite who claimed to be a servant of Christ, but never really got around to ever doing God's will for any significant length of time or to any significant degree because the pleasures of sin were always too attractive for them. The immediate always seemed to win out over the eternal. Service to self always got preference over service to Christ. And pleasure always took priority over principle. And they easily tired of the responsibilities of the Christian life and other things took their place. And the result was is that when you looked at the totality of their life, little or nothing was done for Christ even though they professed the name of Christ, and to be his servant. And so, these people weren't watchful, they weren't ready, and as a result, they wound up in hell. And so the great lesson is simply this, we must be constantly persevering in service and obedience to Christ if we hope to have a good outcome at his second coming. For those who do, the rewards are immeasurable. For those who don't, the judgment is unbearable. And so what we have to do as Christians is live every day in anticipation of his coming and let that anticipation motivate us to always be ready so that when he appears, we may be filled with delight and not with terror and dread. It says in 1 John 2 and verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so this is what our confession exhorts us to do. It exhorts us to shake off all carnal security, be always watchful, because we know not what hour the Lord will come, and may be ever prepared to say, come Lord Jesus, every day and every hour of the day, we should be able to say, Lord, come back now and not feel embarrassed about making such a, uh, a request because um, we are living in such a way that we would not want to be found when Jesus comes back. So, and, and, and while, you know, any one of us at any point in time in our life have lived in such a way, uh, what is your life but a totality of a million decisions that are made moment by moment as to what you're going to do now in relationship to Christ and His will?
And so um, a faithful Christian life uh, is, is made up of a, of, a, of a million billion moment by moment choices. And to let us make the, the correct choice each moment. And then we shall have a, a whole um, a record of faithfulness to Christ all the days of our life. Well, let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus, for the redemption he's given, the salvation he's provided, and also for the yoke that he's called us to bear and to wear. And Father, we recognize that we are stewards and we have responsibilities and faithfulness and goodness are required of us. For uh, the Lord Jesus on the day of judgment says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Father, may those two words, those three words, be characteristic of us, good and faithful and servants. Father, it is those who have demonstrated genuine faith in Christ. And so, Lord, may we demonstrate that faith and be found in that day to have been those who um, gave the water and the food and the clothing and cared for those who were sick and in prison. In a word, those who loved and cared for the people of God. Father, I pray that you might cause each one in this room to be ready for that second coming. Father, we thank you also for enabling us to persevere through the confession of faith and all the teaching that it contains. Father, we pray that as we review the document from time to time that you might help us, Lord, to um, remember and review and, and uh, re-cement these concepts into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.